This is episode 333 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are OPSEC, Operational Security or Operations Security, and Strokes or CVAs on and off the grid. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. I truly believe that the key to preparedness is having multiple streams of income. If you'd like some more information, you can go to the show notes and link straight over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com or go straight to microbiz.biz and that'll get you there. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast. It comes to us from modernsurvivalblog.com and I'm just going to just lay it out here right at the very beginning of the podcast. These two articles are kind of scary uh, a little bit, uh, coming from two different areas, but important information that we should consider, right? And so, uh, again, like I said, this one's coming to us from modernsurvivalblog.com. After I I read this one, after you listen to it, you might not want to get on social media or you might want to just get really uh, proactive about what kind of information is being put out there. And so uh, let's just go ahead and jump into this one and uh, see where we come out on the other side. So what is OPSEC? Basically, OPSEC is used to describe a means of keeping sensitive or potentially sensitive information secure or private. This prevents said information from being used to your disadvantage by others. Most of us have heard the advice about what to do if we're going on vacation. Arrange for a trusted neighbor to pick up the mail and the newspapers. Don't get on social media and tell the world that you're going on vacation. Use timers to turn lights on and off, etc. We know that we shouldn't put the boxes that our televisions or gaming consoles, computers, etc. came in out on the curve for everyone to see. Most people teach their families that certain things are not talked about outside the home, such as weapons, such as if weapons are owned, if there are expensive things in the house, when and where family members work, prepping supplies on hand, etc. These are examples of operational security. They're obvious in nature to most of us by now. We do these things to help minimize the odds of becoming the victims of crime. Most of us know that if we advertise, someone will notice. Everyone has their own OPSEC parameters. That is, what they are comfortable with being known by others and what they want to remain private. Those parameters can touch on just about any aspect of life. Open carry versus concealed carry, family stick figure stickers on the vehicle's back window or not, it tells a lot about your family, photographs online or not, social media and to what level, comments online, it goes on and on. This is a sort of intuitive form of OPSEC for most people. Information that we see and understand could have negative ramifications should it become public. The reason I am bringing this up is because There really is a detachment for many people when it comes to information we don't see, but is nevertheless collected, aggregated, and analyzed by by algorithms continuously. 
This is information that most of us are either not really aware of or we do not assign the same levels of sensitivity. Out of sight equals out of mind, right? This information that you don't see is about you. It covers almost everything about you. There are protections afforded to us by law when it comes to the collection, retention, and use of information by the government regarding the United States citizens, right? There is much less protection when it comes to businesses doing the same. Sure, banks cannot disclose your personal financial information to just anyone. Healthcare information is private to a degree as per HIPAA laws. But what about the information that people never give a second thought to? Without delving into conspiracy theories, think about the following few examples. So the first example is loyalty cards and membership cards. These are great, right? I go to the store, gather the groceries I want, and when I get to the checkout, I simply whip out my card and I get discounts on some of the items I purchased. Or I pull out my membership card so I can prove I'm a member and thus am allowed to purchase the items in my cart. It helps save a few bucks and that's a good thing, right? Sure, but it also personally identifies you and logs everything you bought. Everything. Every time. Forever. I have been told by employees of a few stores that require membership cards or offer loyalty cards that this data is kept forever. We're not normally allowed to access it, but it is reviewed constantly by software. Is that a bad thing? Maybe. Years ago, Forbes published an article titled, Kroger Knows Your Shopping Patterns Better Than You Do. And they're right. How? Because of that loyalty card and those electronic coupons. They also know if you lean more towards the health food or the bacon and beer. So how can this be a bad thing? Well, does any other entity currently have access to this information? Will any other entity have access in the future? I bet health insurance companies would love to get their hands on it. Think maybe some of them might be trying to become one of those associates that some loyalty card program worn in the fine print that they may share information with. So what do you think could happen if insurance companies started using this kind of data? So the second type is credit and debit cards. Everything you have ever paid for with these can be retrieved. Sure, there is no itemized receipt on your credit card bill, but it's been recorded all the same. I cannot find a definitive answer as to how long those records are kept and by whom, but I suspect that they are another forever thing. I once had to return a faulty item to the store, but could not find my receipt. When I explained this to the guy at the customer service desk, he asked if I had paid using a credit card. When I advised I had, he asked for the credit card and swiped it. On the screen was a list of everything I had ever bought at the store using that card. Everything. Sure, that's just one store, but what about all the other places both in real life and on the internet that we use plastic? I called my credit card company back in 2008 or so to ask them to help me with a problem. I used my card on a major nationwide retailer's website and had not received one of the items that I had paid for. The representative at my card company was able to tell me everything I had purchased. Everything. Ever buy long-term food storage online? Ammunition? Firearms? Accessories? Books? Supplies? Even if you used a prepaid card, someone somewhere has a record that you bought it. Who has or may someday have access to that information? EMR or electronic medical records. 
By January 1st, 2014, all private and public health care providers were required to start using EMR by the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009. It also prodded them to use EHR, electronic health records, which are apparently different from EMR. EHR provides a comprehensive medical history of a patient, while EMR is just the medical history from a single healthcare provider. Think about that for a moment. EMR is just the records from a single healthcare provider. EHR is everything from all the healthcare providers you've seen lumped together in a big data file with your name on it. This could help save lives, no doubt about it. It could also work against you. Ever seek care from the VA? Ever had a doctor you simply did not click with? What did he or she say about you in your file? I once had a nurse react very badly when the doctor told me to disrobe and she saw my firearm. The doctor chastised her for her attitude and verbal attack, but the doctor isn't the one entering my medical data into these records. Did her sudden hatred for me as a firearm owner skew what was entered? These databases of your medical information are controlled at the federal level and are available to more than just healthcare providers. There is indication that they are available to all the alphabet agencies as evidenced by one of them using these records to add numerous veterans to the NICS no firearms list. I think they are available to the Department of Health as well. What about mobile phones? Good luck, good luck figuring this one out. There are conflicting reports and privacy policies out there which indicates your mobile provider keeps call logs, text messages, multimedia messages, text logs, IP sessions, etc. from anywhere from a few hours to forever. Sure, you can contact your provider and ask, but you may be getting information that isn't accurate. Look at the problems many people have had with mobile phone companies just in regards to plans and pricing. Consider the investigations and lawsuits that have been able to retrieve long since deleted SMS and MMS messages. The thing to consider is what information is kept and who may have access to it. And let us not forget the Stingray type devices out there. These pick up all the calls in a given area, not just a targeted handset. My neighbor told me that he can log into his mobile account and literally see every single thing his sons do with or on their mobile handsets. He can read their text, look at MMS messages, the whole nine yards, and apparently does not need physical access to the handsets to do it. And what about apps? Application or apps on your phones can be a privacy nightmare. Scrolling through the detailed permissions may many of them require should give any sane person and especially every prepper pause for concern. Years ago, my wife and I once had an application on our first smartphones that was nothing more than a notepad program for grocery shopping that automatically updated on both of our handsets. It was even marketed as a grocery list. If I added an item, say milk, it would show up on her list. We thought it would be handy and used it for a few weeks before I had to reset my phone and a plethora of permission pop-ups started appearing. Even though this application could only be used for entering text, such as the items of your grocery list, it required permission to access and activate our phone's still camera, video camera, and microphone, as well as required access to all data, text and multimedia messages, photo gallery, contact list, call records, and location. Seems like a lot of required access for nothing more than an auto-updating grocery list app.
right, guys. So uh, that's kind of uh, the way that it ends. There's no concluding paragraph there. Um, there's 102 comments on this article. And so a lot of people giving information and kind of diving deep, a little bit deeper here if you are interested in it. This is one of those things that kind of can give you the eebie-jeebies, if you know what I mean, because you start realizing that there's so many things out there that's get, that all of it's gathering information on you and uh, you know figuring out uh, certain aspects of who you are, and, and they're able to make a big O you know, profile on you. Uh, Google's doing it. Uh, you know, Facebook is doing it. I mean, they're all doing it, right? And one of the things that they'll say is the reason they're doing it is to be able to market to you. So Google does it so that they can market to you, so that they can give you the most, well, the, what they'll tell you is because they want to give you the most relevant uh, like search results, the most relevant content that you would be looking for. So you don't have to like kind of dig through it all. You know, Facebook is going to serve up to you the things that you're interested in and, and not just all the other junk that's there. And that's really what they're telling you. And you know what? It might be true. That might be the real reason. But the thing is that the data is there. And can the data be used for uh, nefarious purposes? Yes, it can be used for, for, you know, for used in the wrong way. And so I think that's the problem. And that's the thing that gives us all a little bit of pause because, uh, you know, we're not as trusting as everybody else. The point is, and you know, one of the things that the one of the comments, uh, somebody who left a comment said is that you you can't get away from it. I mean, there's absolutely no way. I mean, even if you completely go like off grid and you are, you know, you don't have a phone, you don't have the internet, you don't do that, you still have a bank account, you still have social security cards, you still have ways. I mean, in order to to do business out there. Uh, in order to you know have uh, to get paid, in order to you know all that kind of stuff, unless you find a way to completely barter all of your your time and your resources and all that kind of stuff, there's just you know, and and most people who live in the the real world, there's no way that you, they can do that, and so uh, you know there's still going to be that aspect of it. The way that we need to, to look at this, um, well, let, let me, before I say that, I do want to say that there was an incident where we, where we did go, actually wrote an article on it, on Ed That Matters, um, where we did go to the doctor. My son needed, uh, he needed a shot for, uh, for school, and uh, the doctor came in with his little laptop and was asking all these questions. Actually, first, they gave a questionnaire, and so they wanted us to fill it out. And so I'm looking at it, I'm filling it out, and it's, you know, stuff about health and things. And then it went into, like, do you talk to your kid about sex? Do you, uh, you know, uh, how many firearms do you have, you know, in the house? Uh, how many hours do you play video games? How many this and how many that? And all these things is like, wait a minute, this is not the doctor's responsibility. And the nurse came in to, I don't know, to check the blood pressure, do whatever they normally do. And I said, hey, uh, I don't feel comfortable uh, filling this out. And she goes, oh, you don't have to, no worries. You know, uh, it's just a questionnaire just for information. Well, when the doctor came in, he started asking those same questions. And I'd already talked to my son. And I'm like, hey, there's going to be some questions here that we're definitely not going to answer. And so when he started asking questions, I finally got to the point and said, look, hey, doctor, I don't feel comfortable answering those questions. You know, and he goes, well, it's just the information that I need to have. It's not your responsibility 
to to handle these things, the questions that you're at, the answers that you're looking for, the information that you want. That is not your responsibility. We're here to get a shot so that he, you know, so the school nurse will allow him to go to school and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. And so he finally did put the computer down when he saw that I was going to have a problem with it. But you know that's the way it is. So people who don't think twice about it are just there and they're giving all this information just like they were talking about this EHR who knows I mean who knows all the information that's out there uh, you know on you and stuff like that so the key here is to be smart is to be uh, you know proactive when you're dealing with these things um, you know when they were talking about do you buy ammo uh, you know online do you maybe there's some things that you shouldn't buy uh, you know, with a credit card. Maybe there are some things that you should buy with cash. Maybe there are, there's no way that you should, you know, one of the things that the, the one of the comments uh, said was, uh, you know, maybe you should just kind of completely like, uh, you know, get out of everything. And then someone said, that's when they really start watching you, right? And so I, I think, you, you know, we continue to live our lives, continue to do what we're doing in the internet space and all the other, the way that just information is tied in but we become very very smart about how we do things and so if you know using the the membership cards give you the ebgbs don't use those anymore right uh, so if if you're more comfortable uh you know paying an extra two or three dollars because you don't have that little membership card well then do that you know uh you know if if it's uh, more comfortable for you to uh, maybe find a doctor who doesn't ask you those those types of questions. There's there's doctors out there who refuse to kind of do that information, you know, take that information. Uh, I know that I was asking around and someone told me about a pediatrician that uh, wouldn't ask that uh, that information. I'm like, all right, that's cool. That that's a good thing to know. You know, if there's uh, you know, you need to operate with more cash. Um, you know, operate with more cash. Uh, you know, and I'll just tell you right off the bat, there's some banks that will ask you if you if you pull out a certain amount of money, they're going to like, um, OK, you know, uh, I got to get this approved. And you're like, wait a minute, you know, because that's happened to me before. I've taken out a certain amount of money because I was getting some work done around the house and, you know, I was paying people in cash and I was had, you know, doing this and doing that. And, uh, you know, it was like five hundred dollars and they had to get that approved. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, what the heck? You know? And uh, I don't know. So just you, you got to be smart about it. Be ready, you know, be ready to uh, to uh, deal with this kind of thing, the intrusion in our lives and, and be smart. Just realize that everything out there could be gathering information on you. And that's pretty scary. Um, you know, for some people that can lead to a lot of anxiety. And I will tell you, that's not we don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. Just be smart about how you do things and how you, uh, you know, you you proceed here. Because, uh, like I said, unless you completely bow out of society and you uh, want to live a, a completely barter lifestyle, um, there's no way to get around this. Um, but you just got to be smart about it. All right. So, guys, if you want to reread this article, uh, you want to go read the comments. Like I said, there's over 100 comments here. That's over at Modern Survival Blog. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out. Uh, but don't freak out. Right. Be smart. Be smart how you handle things. Maybe there's some, some you know, you you uh, 
with forego some conveniences is what I'm trying to say. Uh, instead, instead of just having the ease of you know just getting everything because you give some information, and so be smart about it. All right, so again, that's over at modernsurvivalblog.com. Our next article, we go from you know the EBGBs of uh, you know all the information that we give to the EBGBs of you know our health and in what can possibly happen out there. Not only when we are you know in a situation where we have the you know. Uh, great medical facilities available to us and doctors and medicine and medical science, but also the idea of if this happened during a, a you know a, a time where we were in a collapse scenario and we didn't have modern day me- medicine, what would that mean to us? And so this next article comes to us from doomandbloom.net. Uh, my favorites over there, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and the title is Strokes or CVAs on and off the grid. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Often medics in remote areas are confronted with a major challenge. Some of these challenges relate to wilderness exposure or perhaps an accident while performing activities of daily survival. Give me an axe and set me to chopping wood and you'll probably see what I mean. Sometimes the challenges faced by the medic isn't from some external trauma, but internal. Problems so severe that even in normal times, there are limits to the options available for treatment. One issue that fits this description is the cerebrovascular accident, or CVA, also known as stroke. Although modern medicine can do more for stroke victims than the pioneer medic, it's important for an off-grid healthcare provider to recognize the signs and symptoms of a stroke and to act quickly to improve a victim's chances of survival. So what is a stroke? A CVA or stroke is a medical event in which a blood vessel that supplies the brain with oxygen becomes blocked or leaks blood. The effect is that tissue served by the blood vessel becomes starved of oxygen. Within a few short minutes, the region affected begins to die, and functions controlled by that part of the brain are lost or impaired. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is considered to be a major risk factor for a stroke. Other predisposing factors include diabetes, tobacco, obesity, and some heart irregularities. In a sizable number of cases, however, no obvious case is ever identified. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, stroke is the fifth leading cause of disease in the United States, with about 800,000 cases a year. Of those that survive a stroke, many are left with significant permanent disability. A percentage do not survive more than a year afterwards. So the types of strokes. The failure to provide oxygen-carrying blood to the brain could happen in one of two ways. A blood clot obstructs a blood vessel that is needed to maintain circulation or perfusion to the brain. This is called an ischemic stroke and is the most common type. Blood from an artery, vein, or an abnormal structure leaks into brain tissue or the space between the brain and the membranes that cover it. This can happen due to trauma, blood thinning, medications, or other causes and is known as a hemorrhagic stroke. Sometimes hemorrhage can occur in the area of an ischemic stroke, blurring the lines between the two types. Ischemic strokes can be caused by a number of issues including thrombosis, a blood clot forms locally causing obstruction, embolism, a blood clot forms elsewhere in the body and travels through the circulation to lodge in the brain, 
or a systemic hypoperfusion, an inadequate amount of blood gets to the brain due to, say, severe bleeding as an hemorrhagic shock. And guys, I'm going to tell you, there's always uh, cool graphics here. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy always uh, pull up great, uh, great graphics there for their articles. So the hemorrhagic strokes. When blood leaks into brain tissue, it places pressure on sensitive brain cells, causing significant damage. Hemorrhagic strokes can be caused by uncontrolled high blood pressure or less commonly by a malformation of a blood vessel known as an aneurysm. An aneurysm is a weakness in a vessel wall that looks like a tiny balloon. If it bursts, a catastrophic bleed into brain tissue can occur. Certain medications that suppress blood clotting may increase the risk of CVA. I mention this as a nod to my father who survived a heart attack only to have a hemorrhagic stroke from blood thinners given to him in the aftermath. He died a few weeks later. Hemorrhagic stroke can occur. In the brain tissue itself, this is known as an intracerebral hemorrhage and is the most common hemorrhagic stroke, or between the brain and the thin membrane that surround it. This type, albeit less common, can accumulate a significant amount of blood and cause severe pressure on brain tissue. So transient ischemic attacks, or TIAs. Occasionally, the medic may encounter a short-term event called a transient ischemic attack, sometimes referred to as a mini-stroke. A TIA can present as minimal or significant symptoms, which are, well, transient in nature. In a classic TIA, symptoms will disappear, for the most part, within two hours or so. Despite this, it is impossible to know whether you're dealing with a major stroke or a TIA when first presented with the victim. Those who experience a TIA, even if all symptoms disappear, will be at a higher risk for a major stroke in the near future. Check the link below to read an account by a real person of her TIA experience. So there's a link here that you can uh, click on and go read. So identifying a stroke, and this is probably one of the most important aspects of this for those of us who are considering uh, you know, wanting to be medically uh, sure when we are in a collapse scenario, right? So identifying a stroke, and not even just in a collapse, but if we're ever in a situation where um, we just, someone is around us and they're having a stroke, the faster that you can get help to them, the better. So the CDC has compiled a list of symptoms that point the medic to the diagnosis of a stroke. By learning these, often unmistakable signs, quick action may lead to lives saved and functions restored. Stroke victims will often exhibit the sudden onset of a severe headache, numbness or weakness affecting usually one side of the face, arm, or leg, trouble speaking or inability to understand speech, difficulty with vision in one or both eyes, confusion or dizziness, trouble walking, and loss of coordination. The CDC recommends the memorization of FAST a simple way to help with stroke diagnosis and treatment. So F stands for face, smile. Does one side of the face sag? A stands for arms. Raise both of the victim's arms and see if one droops. S stands for speech. Have the victim say a common phrase. Does it sound strange or slurred? And time. T stands for time. Call 911 right away if you notice any of these symptoms. Of course, this won't be an option off the grid. It's important to note when symptoms started and when the victim was last seen well. 
The longer the time frame between wellness and debilitation, the more likely there'll be long-term consequences. So treating a stroke. The presentation of a stroke victim is oftentimes quite striking and observant medics will make the diagnosis quickly. Rapid action may help preserve function and even life. The majority of CVAs are ischemic in nature. In normal times, a patient with this type of stroke can be treated with a powerful IV therapy called TPA that helps break up clots must be given within three hours. Procedures can also be performed that might be successful in removing the clot that's blocking the circulation. In the absence of modern medical facilities, blood thinners like aspirin may be of use. If no aspirin is available, salicin from the underbark of willow trees will have a similar effect. It should be noted that a hemorrhagic stroke may actually worsen with the use of blood thinners like aspirin. As many of these are caused by elevated blood pressures, anti-hyperintensive meds may help to reduce damage caused. Blood pressure is usually at its lowest if the patient is placed on their left side. If caused by an aneurysm, surgical procedures may be necessary. Recovery from a stroke is not impossible. The National Stroke Association reports 10% will experience almost complete recovery, with another 25% with minor impairments. Reports suggest that most recovery occurs soon after a stroke, but improvement may still occur over a longer period of time, especially with rehabilitation. With the lack of modern medical facilities in the aftermath of a disaster, the hard reality may be that major medical events like strokes may be very difficult to deal with. The medic's motto may have to be, do what you can with what you have where you are. All right, so thank you, uh, Dr. Bones, Joe Alton, MD, for doing that for us, writing this article. Again, another one of those things that, you know, when we think about, you know, a collapse scenario, we're, we're thinking about all the things that we need to do to survive. Well, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be a lot more active than they normally are. And that's going to lead to all kinds of health issues and health problems, and one being heart attacks and strokes. And so, uh, again, I like those uh, being able to identify a stroke. Uh, I think those are important, right? The severe headache, numbness, uh, weakness affecting uh, one side of the face, arm, or leg, trouble speaking, difficult with vision, confusion or dizziness, trouble walking, loss of uh, coordination, and then memorizing uh, fast, right? Face, arms, speech, and time. If we can remember that, that will help. And then definitely, uh, you know, for your stockpile, for your medicine stockpile, you'll want to uh, add some aspirin there uh, along those lines. So guys, that's over at uh, doomandbloom.net. I'm going to link to it in the show notes like always. And so you can go check that one out. Maybe you want to print this one out. Uh, and definitely, if you haven't, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, but uh, if you are new to the podcast and you haven't heard me uh, say this before, I say it very often, uh, that the first prepper book that you ever should buy is Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's book, The Survival Medicine Handbook. It is a great book. Um, they approach medicine from a collapse scenario if medical help is not available. Um, there are, there are, um, uh, there are chapters on essential oils, herbal medicine, uh, and uh, antibiotics that you can buy, uh, fish and bird antibiotics that you can purchase that are uh, for human consumption as well. 
So definitely need to go check that book out if you haven't uh, if you haven't uh, ever purchased it. Um, and if you are looking for a quick link to it, you can come over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com in the episodes. Um, section on the sidebar. I have it there. You can click on it and go straight to Amazon and purchase it from there. And uh, speaking of Amazon, I do appreciate it when you do make your purchases through Amazon. And, you know, a lot of people ask, Todd, how can, um, you know, do you have a donation button? How can we help support uh, Prepper Website and the Prepper Website podcast? And, uh, you know, one is through the ebook and being a part of that. I mean, I really do feel that everyone should, uh, you know, have multiple streams of income doing something that you love. And so I, the, purchasing the ebook is one way to do that. But the other way is um, if, you know, you just, man, Todd, I, I don't want to do a micro biz. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but that's just not me. Uh, then the other way uh, is to um, you know, make your purchases from Amazon through our links. And so all my websites, Ad That Matters, uh, Prepper Website, and the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com, you can go and click on the Amazon, any Amazon uh, picture graphic and it'll take you to Amazon and that's you know that uses our link and so it doesn't cost you anything extra but it does bless us so we get a little percentage of what uh, you purchase regardless of what it is so um, that's one way that you can bless Prepper Website and the Prepper Website podcast and I do greatly appreciate it when when, when others do that so thank you very much uh, ahead ahead of time for doing that. Well, guys, that's it for episode 333. Uh, Thank you so much for starting your week off with me. Hey, if you are not subscribed, you can come on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and there we have tons of ways to subscribe. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and don't forget to take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect through social media in the show notes. And with that, Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.